turn now to our exposition in the wilderness wanderings that are recorded in Numbers. Let us return to Numbers chapter 13. We have, as you'll recall, begun Numbers 14, but we're, at least in this and the following message in this series, we're going to take a little bit of a detour, but on the theme that is introduced for us of the crossroads at Kadesh. As Israel came to Kadesh on the very boundaries of the land of promise, they were at a crossroads. They were in, as it were, the valley of decision, and a decision was upon them. And now for just a couple of messages, I'd like us to step back and reflect upon the subject of decision-making. Decision-making and the Christian as we draw applications for God's providential placing of his people at a crossroads to make a profoundly important decision. Let us read once again from Numbers 13, verses 25 to 33. Here again, God's word. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and Surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan." And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight." And so... Israel can even look and see the land that God had sworn to Father Abraham. Finally, after such a long time, finally, 
after hundreds of years, not just of sojourning in a foreign land, but another pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph, and instead of being treated as welcome guests, they are looked upon as a national threat. And so they groan, and so they cry, and yet God has not forgotten them. He keeps his covenant. And here they are. You could throw a stone. That's how close they were. And yet, before they go in, God has them send spies men that engage in reconnaissance to go and to actually search uh, the land. And they come back and they bring this report. Truly, it is a great land, the land that God has sworn to our fathers. It is a great land. It is just everything that God has said, a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's a little problem, or actually not so little problem. There are these great giants, these big walled cities. And Caleb and uh, Joshua didn't dispute this fact, but God was on their side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, dear friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? But they have to make the decision. They have to make the decision. Are they going to believe the report, not only the facts, but also, in addition to the facts, the interpretation that by faith we can do exactly what God has called us to do? Well, we've been studying this passage. We know exactly what happens they take a wrong turn, and that's putting it mildly. In fact, it's such a wrong turn that they are turned around, and for 40 years, all the parents must die, the very ones that said, our little children are going to die because of your mismanagement, Moses, and ultimately God. Well, God says, I'm going to keep my promise to Abraham's seed but I'm going to do it by littering the desert with your dead bodies. And then your grown children will go into the land. God always gets the last laugh. And so you can trust God. Even if it seems that everything is falling apart, God keeps his promises. Well, Let us take a a little detour on uh, the subject that I would suggest this text addresses, not in a primary way, although although we we do have it as a very front and center subject, uh, the decision that the people of God make, but let us now, considering more broadly God's Word as we are here at the crossroads at Kadesh, decision-making, and the Christian. Let's begin with governing principles 
Second, general directions. And third, and probably in our next message in this series, a checklist for the godly and some scenarios for illustration. Governing principles, general directions, and then a checklist and some scenarios for illustrations. The first governing principle of all decision-making, whether it's a great life-changing decision, as this one was, or whether it's all the way down to the very uh, lowest of, of choices that we make, even as consumers in the marketplace. You've got to start with major principles. And that's one of the things that distinguishes uh, the Christian faith from self-help philosophies that don't even talk about principles. They're there, they're assumed, but they're not Christian principles. But you've got to start with principles if you're going to make good and godly and right decisions. First of all, you exist for God and not for anything else. Certainly not for yourself. You don't exist for yourself. That's the reigning dogma of our generation. You do you. But that's not what the Bible says. You exist for God, not for anyone, not for anything else, and God certainly doesn't exist for you. And many people approach God that way. When I get into a jam, then I get on my knees and I call to God. Or I, I've made... A, kind of an outline, an agenda for my, my best life now. Now let's go to the Bible and spend two or three minutes and find some nice things that I can cherry pick and just kind of add like cosmetics to my own idea of what my life should be. That is not biblical. It's not correct. And if that's how you think, dear friends... You are on the broad path that leads to destruction. Everyone else is going down that path, and many of them are, are having a very lovely time, and they're saying, come on with us. But the Bible says differently, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You exist because God. He made you. He made you for Himself. You were fashioned in your mother's womb. 
you had very little to do with that when you really think about it. But everything that he did, he did because it pleased him. You exist for God. You've got to understand whatever decisions you're making, that is principle number one. The devil comes to Jesus. He says, come here. You see all these great kingdoms of the earth? You see that there? All these things have been given to me. Now, if you just bow down and worship me, they can all be yours. This isn't even what's behind door number one. The door's opened. These are all the kingdoms. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Israel went wrong at Kadesh because deep down they had forgotten that they existed for God and not the other way around. And some of you maybe have been fighting that. You haven't just been fighting that principle. You've been fighting God. Because it's irritating that anyone should call the shots but me. But who made you? And why? Man's chief end is to glorify God. Which leads us to our second principle. Your happiness is bound up in God. God will turn you right around with that entire generation to wander in the desert for 40 years and knock you down and kill you off if you fight him. But you don't understand that you see, submitting to God's will, letting him have the keys, is not going to make you unhappy. In fact, it's just the opposite. Our choice apart from God lead us to certain misery. The proverb says the way of transgressors is hard. Now you may not see that immediately. But mark God's word. If you want to be happy you have to Bury your own quest for happiness and find it in God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none that I desire on earth besides you. My heart and my flesh, they faint and fail, but God, God is the portion of my inheritance. I'm satisfied with God. And if you are satisfied with God through Jesus Christ, and that's the only way to be satisfied with God, because until you come to the cross and you are broken with all your sins before Him and you see Him as loving you so much that He 
died for you on that cross, then all of a sudden you're going to find he was my best friend after all. He wants my happiness and he was willing to die to make me happy. Jesus said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. So if you are not living for Jesus, if you've never truly found yourself your own worst enemy, you will never find happiness. You will only have misery upon misery until at length you breathe your last and that's when your misery really begins. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. Why will you die? Why will you be so stubborn? Wasn't that Moses' complaint all through the desert? You see, they couldn't see how this was going to have a good ending. Have you brought us all out here to, to kill us? Was it because they ran out of room to bury people in Egypt, Moses? Your happiness is bound up in God. And I'll say to you right now, you may be the most mature Christian, but if you are struggling with frustration, fear, anxiety, whatever it may be that's making you struggle, it's because there's a disconnect between you and God. And I say that from personal experience. Third, as we are at a kind of crossroads at Kadesh and reflect from God's word upon decision-making in the Christian, the third governing principle is that God's revealed will is the rule for all your decisions. Now, this is really the ABCs of Christianity. But you need to hear it again. And so do I. God's revealed will is the rule, the ultimate rule. We're not saying that all of your decisions can be directly answered by going to 1 Chronicles 29.4 or any other verse in the Bible. We might like it that way. But God says, I've given you my will. And I have revealed the major things. And even the minor things, if you listen to me and you patiently bear with me, you will find that there is an answer. There will be dots that you'll be able to connect each and every time. Negatively, it is not your will that is the rule for your decisions. Now, God gave you a will. 
For some of you, he was even extra generous. God made your will. He didn't make you just this, this, this passive jellyfish. Even the most meek and retiring among you has a will. God put it there for a reason. Because life is a forward-moving thing. And you don't move forward without the exercise of your will. God made it when he made you in your mother's womb. But your will is not the ultimate rule for your decisions. And especially in a consumer, a consumerist society in which we have so many choices, uh, it can almost be um, extra difficult for us to, to remember this. Maybe it becomes... Uh, A little more clear when you look at other times and places when people did not have half the choices. I just watched a short documentary on what shopping was like in the Soviet Union. How would you like to go to a store and get in three lines, one after the other? First, to put in your order. Second, to pay. Third, to collect. It was said that everywhere there were lines. Some people brought bags with them just in case they saw a line. They didn't even know what the line was for, but they thought, it sure can't hurt to jump into it. It may just be something I need. And marketing is constantly reinforcing the worst of your sin inside you, saying it's all about you. It's all about you. If you're not satisfied, you register your complaint. This wasn't done just to my specifications. Now, that's not to say that the consumer can't make choices that he or she wishes. That's not what we're saying at all. It's just that our will is not the ultimate test of what we should be deciding in life. Big decisions, little decisions. God's revealed will, not your will. Not other people's wills. How many, you just have to wonder, how many in the congregation there made decisions because they were impressionable. They were influenced. It seemed like, well, there are ten, ten that are saying we can't do this. Only two are saying that we can. And they're impressionable. And, well, what do you think, Samuel? Oh, I don't think we can do it. People start tearing up. Emotions flare, oh, the feelings that are beginning to, 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 to stir. But at the end of the day, it's not our will or anyone else's will that is the ultimate standard. It's not family. It's not even your parents. Just because your parents want something doesn't mean that it's necessarily God's will for you. 
It's certainly not friends. Do we seek to please man or God? For if we yet pleased man, we should not be the servants of Christ. We ought to obey God rather than man. And that means oftentimes swimming upstream. One popular musician saying, I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Well, in one sense, that can be true. Well, there is a, there's a certain kind of forced conformity and the believer has to be aware that he or she is being pressured, maybe not overtly, but it's subtly. Other people may not become the lords of my life. And yet, those words are so very sad because he thinks this is my life. How twisted all of this is. This is not your life, sir. This is the life that God gave you. The ultimate rule for your decisions is not your feelings, not your gut. I remember when I was young, I'd sometimes hear, and I'm sure they were well-meaning, but they say, I just don't have peace about this decision. No. It's true. Sometimes our intuition can say something to us. And if our intuition is being influenced by the Word of God, you know what? We may sense that something isn't quite right. But that's a very different thing from our uncontrolled feelings that aren't informed by God's Word. There's so many wrong signals that we get from our feelings. They're not doubtful voices in our head that is the authority. Some people, they they just feel like the Lord is saying this to them and the Lord is saying that to them. You have to ask, how how do you test that? How do you know that? It's all very subjective and, and, and in our day and age, the turn to the subjective has been profound. And we're seeing the fruit of this, aren't we? Where young people are not even sure of their sexual identity. You have objective realities. In fact, every cell of your body, if you're a woman, is female. It's down to your bones. They can dig up your bones a hundred years later and find out whether you were a man or a woman. Even if you had gone through a sex change and taken testosterone. That's objective reality. But feelings, 
They're not the ultimate standard, and we're so impressionable, and we're living in an age that is appealing to the worst of the individual. And then it becomes kind of a self-cannibalism. Everything must be decided by how I feel, which destroys the soul. And let us not be judgmental, brothers and sisters. We must take a stand for the truth, but let us look upon these people with pity as they destroy themselves. And may God give us opportunities to bring them the balm of Gilead for the captivity that they experience to their feelings that is leading them to disastrous decisions. But it starts small. It starts small. God's revealed will is the rule for your decisions, not your will, not others' wills, not your gut feelings, not doubtful voices in your head, nor is it what is often called God's secret will. Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has given you all the information you need. And the specifics For all decisions that you need to make, he's given you the principles in the Bible. But there are some things that he keeps secret. And there are many things that he keeps secret from you about his decisions for what will actually happen in your life. He keeps those from you until they actually happen. And people turn themselves upside down and all around wondering what's God's will for me in this or in that. And you just don't know. You don't even know if you're going to live tomorrow. But it is God's revealed will. That's what God is turning you to. That's not to say don't have feelings. Don't at all consider your intuitions. It's not saying that. Don't at all consider what other people think. That's not what God is saying. It's just that that's not the ultimate test. It is God's revealed will, and it is plain. Micah 6, 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? He gave his will and he put it in writing. Did you realize that? God's will for your life is in a book. He put it in writing and you can read it right now. Did you know that? It's there. Oh, but I don't know what God wants me to do. Do you have an idea what God... I just don't know. And they tie themselves up. 
And yet, do they even give two minutes on a daily basis to the reading and meditating on God's Word? The law, the ten words, that's pretty clear. Summarized in two commandments. You want to know God's will for your life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now just think about that for a little while. And think about what that means in your life. You know, you can go all through the Bible, not only the law, but, but the gospel and the New Testament, and you see God's will is clearly revealed everywhere. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you love me, keep my commandments. Be done with your navel-gazing. I've spoken. You exist for God. Your happiness is bound up in Him. God's revealed will is the rule, the ultimate rule for all your decisions. Forth ignorance and lies abound. Ignorance is everywhere. Men are said to walk in darkness. God shines his light, but men don't come to the light. In fact, they run from the light. They run into darkness because their deeds are evil. Is it any surprise that they don't know their right hand from their left hand if they love to dwell in darkness? Over and over again, the scriptures declare that the world outside the true church is darkness. They are ignorant. They grope around like that cyclops with a wooden stake stuck in his eye by Odysseus. He doesn't know where he's going. He's just groping, trying to figure it out. And Paul, he comes before these these raw pagans, however civilized they may seem with all their philosophy. And he says, I came into your city and my heart was grieved because I saw all the, the superstition. You don't know which way you're going. And yet I find this very interesting that you build one statue just in case you got it all wrong or missed one, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, I declare unto you. That's the world. They're just blind. Over and over, the Bible says that the unconverted world, they are in blindness. Even their leaders are blind. They are blind leaders of the blind. 
Now, if you have a blind leader and you're saying, come here, come this way, what's going to happen? Jesus says they're both going to fall into the pit. Is that going to surprise you? You are not of the night. You are of the day. When Jesus comes again, it will be a surprise, but it won't be a shock because he told you. And yet much ignorance abounds in the church, even though it has the Bible. How little the Bible is read and studied. How infrequently are pastors getting into the, to the, to the depths of the Word of God and explaining it. Lies abound on every side. This world walks according to the course, this, this course of, a, of an evil age, according to the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And who is that? He is the father of lies. And Christian, just because you are not of the night but you are children of the day, doesn't mean that somehow you're immune from being deceived. How many times did Jesus explicitly say to his disciples, prefacing some serious caution, be not deceived? And the heart, even the heart of a Christian, has the power to deceive itself. But the last principle, and we'll close with this before we in our next message consider general directions and some scenarios for illustration. Our final principle this morning, the believer's will is blood-bought And he is a doer of God's will. First Peter 4, 1 to 3. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, the same mentality. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of the time in the flesh in the lusts of men, but to the will of God, but to the will of God. My will was once in fetters, bound to this godless, ignorant world under satanic government on the way to everlasting ruin, but Christ suffered and he died And therefore in him I die and my will is set free that I should no longer live like I did before. That my will should not be yielded over unto my own carnal desires and passions and ambition and uncleanness. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. 
when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. But those days are over because Jesus died. The words of the Heidelberg Catechism in the first question resonate, don't they? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. He loved me and gave himself for me. And that changes everything, and that changes all of my decisions, great and small. And not only that, but he has made me new. He has taken out the heart of stone and given a heart of flesh that I should love God's law, which is his will. And in fact, every true Christian is a doer of God's law, which is his will. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so as we come to the crossroads at Kadesh, And as we see the decisions that were placed upon the congregation and the tragedy that so very many took the wrong path and it led to destruction. The decision, it is put to you, it is put to me. And it has to begin It has to begin with who is God. Is it him or is it me? May God add his blessing to his word this morning. Let us rise and close in prayer. O Lord, we... Come now, confessing that our wills have been very stubborn. Not one of us, Lord, can boast that we have been a sweet, teachable child of God. And Lord, we remember many of us when we were unconverted, how very willful we were. Lord, we were enslaved even to our wills and to the wills of others. But Lord, Thou hast set us free, and we are now no longer our own, not only by creation, but by redemption. We are doubly the Lord's. And so may we serve Thee with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our might, with hearts of love. O God, look on us and bless us, we pray, through Jesus. Amen.